Hi everyone, thanks for tuning this episode of Nick Egan Times. On this episode we have an incredible guest. We have Wesley Schultz from the Lumineers. The Lumineers are an alternative American folk rock band, American folk rock group that's done incredible things um, in the global music scene. Going back in 2012 with their smash hits, Ho Hey, and then they've done other hits like Stubborn Love, Angela and Cleopatra. The Lumineers have just released their fourth new amazing album, Brightside. Welcome Wesley and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. How's it all been going over there? It's going great. Uh, I'm uh, at home right now in Denver for the moment, but we leave for tour shortly in a couple of days, and uh, I'm excited to get back out there and tour outside of uh, North America come out your way, actually. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, can't wait for you to come out here. Uh, tell me, how has the pandemic affected you personally and professionally? Uh, well, professionally, it just brought everything to a screeching halt. Uh, we were in the middle of uh, our first ever like, arena run in the U.S., so it was a big deal for us. And uh, it was strange because we were playing all these places where the hockey teams and the basketball teams play, and those leagues shut down on the same night, basically. And so our tour shut down that same night, obviously. Um so that was pretty disorienting um, when you think everything is maybe going to be okay and then it you're off the road for like two years. Um, but it turned into eventually some inspiration. It took a little while. I think everybody, at least my friends and I, we talked about how we were kind of depressed without realizing it. And uh, as great as it is to be home, uh, too much of a good thing can be hard. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time, though, my son and now we had a daughter over that over that uh, break. So for me uh, personally, it was it was um, the first time in about ten years where I didn't have any options to say yes to anything. I you know it's very hard. I think for when you're starting out to say no to, to everything, you're just you're just always saying yes and on the go, and your calendar always fills up. And so this was this was like a forced stay still kind of period of time and I kind of think I needed that and uh, it brought out a different side of making records and with Brightside in particular um, previous to that we had only really made records that we had planned out really well and meticulously and Brightside was a lot more kind of off the cuff and spontaneous and done very very quickly and I think that would have never happened Whatever, I think there are reasons why, but that would have never happened had the train just kept moving. So it was the gift of the pandemic was just we made the record that we didn't really know it was going to be a full-length record. I think that's why our attitude was so casual about it. Just um, a little less paranoid about the decisions and more trusting in ourselves. Wow. Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, and uh, the pandemic's obviously... Um, done some wonderful things for everyone in a certain degree and sense, I guess, of obviously um, creating new things and, you know, for, um, I guess, performers like yourself, um, making new albums like The Bright Side, which is incredible. I was listening to it yesterday and, yeah, the music on there is just amazing. So well done on that. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Um, take us back. Tell me about... Um, the Lumineers, I guess, when you first initially began. Um, and how did you even get the name The Lumineers? How did that get created? Uh, 
we we basically were uh, depending on how you look at it, we were we either stole the idea or we were given the name by accident. <laughs> um, so uh, we went through different band names, and you know, obviously they were bad. If we kept looking for other ones, so our you know our first one was um, Six Cheek, and then it was Wesley Jeremiah. And our bio used to say that our first name is Free Beer to get people out of show. Or we just kind of made that up so you could laugh. But um, eventually we were playing this open mic out in Jersey City. And there was an MC there, which doesn't really happen all that often. Normally for us in open mics. But there was an MC and he said, up next we have the Lumineers. And that was actually our slot. But he was looking at the next week's. And we were like... So we went on stage and I said, ah, we're the Lumineers, you know, and just joking around. And then I went home and it kept rattling in my brain and I started looking up this band and they were an instrumental band and they, they disbanded kind of soon after that. So the name was free. The name was freed up. And, um, so that's how we, we accidentally stepped into the name and we were, we did a lot of music prior to the Lumineers. We, put, we made a lot of music and recorded our, um, ourselves for I would say six or seven years and it was kind of anonymous you know it was kind of like you got to throw a lot of paint at the wall and try things out that most of which wasn't very good but it was a gift to be able to make things and have no penalty for bad you just keep going keep trying and eventually hopefully you stumble into something that feels like you and not like you're trying but like authentically you and um we, we there's a song on the first album called Flowers in Your Hair, and I think that was sort of the start of uh, a sound that we really loved. And um, yeah, we just start, kept on from there, and Stubborn Love and Ho Hey, Submarine, and all these songs kind of popped out at that time, and a, and a, and a record emerged. And then Ho Hey kind of took off in the U.S. and then other places, and I would say, you know, the last number of years, um, it's been gratifying to have people come to the show and sometimes they bring a friend and they go, I know them by this song, but then they leave going, I knew way more songs than I realized I did. And, uh, you know, I think for us, songwriting is the most important thing in all of this. And it's, we, we felt a little bit misunderstood when you get known for a song and you kind of like want to avoid the, uh, the one hit wonder pitfall or the sophomore slump or whatever happens, you know, so I think a lot of it was just trying to stay patient with people and understand that, like, that's maybe how they know you now, but if you keep writing, you keep writing good songs, things will, the page will turn and you'll get to the next step. So, it took a little while, um, songs like Ophelia and Cleopatra and Angela, and then made three, um, so, and then the most recent Bright Side. So, it's been like a, just trying to be really patient and, you know, plot along, just getting, hopefully getting known by our songwriting and, and that being first and foremost. Yeah, great. Um, I personally love Ho Hey too and, um, Cleopatra. I think they're both great songs and, you know, um, they're still commercially played here too, so they're great songs. That's cool. All right. Um, and tell me about your tour. Um, what are you most excited about coming down to Australia and obviously going to other locations as well? What are you most excited about that? We love, I mean, we obviously love coming to Australia and 
getting to go that far away from home and, and seeing that the music still connects. Um, but it's a little bit overdue. You know, it's like we were planning on coming through and the pandemic hit, so it caused, you know, a, like instead of a, a couple-year delay, it's, it's like probably been four or five years. And so I think that that pent-up energy, we've noticed it in the States a little bit and overseas where it's, it's, it provides for a really special show because people have had a relationship with your music, but they, they haven't seen you that recently. So it, it becomes this really uh, emotional and cathartic experience where, and I think for us it's fun because uh, when we first came over there, when people don't realize when you start out as a band, I mean, think about it like a comic, right? If a comic hit big and then they're booking these big venues, they're expected to do about an hour worth of jokes. And for us, we had a 43-minute record on our first record, and we'd be expected to play an hour and 15, an hour and a half. And so it was a, it was a pretty bad feeling because you don't know how you're going to make all that work live. And I think now, with four albums out, it's like we have to cut songs, and that's a really nice feeling to have versus how are we going to make this work tonight? You know, like pulling a rabbit out of the hat you know, every night. Um, so I think we feel more ourselves and settled into something that is authentic to us instead of, um, you know, just trying to do something that you know you're, you're just barely getting by because you want success as an artist and you hope for it to get out of your parents' basement or something. But when it comes like lightning quick, it's sort of hard to trust. So it's it's been nice to have a ten years now where you know we're proving that with each album that like hey this isn't like an accident this is like you know we're we felt legit and now it's coming to fruition for us which is uh I don't mean to like toot our horn I'm just proud that we've been able to stay around and stay together at the band because it's it's a crazy life yeah well you've definitely got longevity what what do you believe uh, I guess is the essence of your longevity. You know, you've, yeah, you've been around for ten years odd. Um, what has given um, the Lumineers uh, longevity? Yeah, I mean, we've been around as the Lumineers for ten, and me and Jared have been writing music for seventeen years, and I think that helps. I think a big key to a big key to longevity, I think, for any artist is that you have control. I think there's um, there's a lot of Artists, when you're young, you're kind of like more easily influenced and suggestible than as you get older. So, for example, when we got signed, I was almost, I was 30 at the time. And so I knew kind of like my terms that I was okay with. And I think we did things our own way. And it wasn't always in an orthodox way. But we had the sort of luxury of failing for so long that we knew how we wanted to do it on our terms. And I think a lot of times when you take a, a short term what seems like a positive long term it can work against you. So you know, having integrity and doing things your own way can be really good versus um, doing things let's say to please other people which I think is kind of like yeah there is a showbiz and there's an entertainment part of music which is your live show and, but there's also um if you're not you, then you could be easily replaced. But there's just one you. And it's, it's, it's like easy to say, but 
there's a lot of times when you, you get put in positions where you're like, I don't know if I want to do that. And if you have the right people around you, um, you can, you can kind of find your way through that twisted path. But if you have people that are just kind of milking you until you're dry, you know, you kind of get used up and you're here today, gone tomorrow. So a lot of it was just that we had failed for so long that we just said no to a lot of things that, um, probably I think would have been not who we were. Amazing. What, um, what inspires, I guess, yourself personally and the Luminous Daily? I mean, personally, I, I read songs with Jer. He has his own, uh, cool, weird inspirations. For me, a lot of why I got into music was because I loved people and I was fascinated by human beings and how we were so full of contradictions. And we, when you get to really know somebody, most of us are actually really interesting, but what's the least interesting about us is the walls we put up and the fronts we have. So, like, you know when you somehow really get into a conversation with someone and it's just riveting? It's like I think music can be like that, and I think when you tell real stories, it's similar to watching a movie that has really good dialogue where it feels real because it's rooted in something that happened. Um... So for me, like, I was going to go be a psychologist. I really wanted, my dad was a psychologist, and I was like, I'm going to go, we'll do soap and son. I don't even know if you can do that, but we'll do, like, father and son psychology practice. Like, I was just stoked on listening to people and trying to help them through something. And I feel like that developed a sense of trying to understand other people and empathy that serves me well, I think, to write songs. Because you run out of material, if it's just about you and every song is about you, it kind of becomes boring. It's fun. It's really a challenge and it's really gratifying to, you know, try to tell the story of somebody else, like a song like Cleopatra, where you're trying to tell a story from a female perspective. Um, things like that, I think, really inspire me. And then the, you know, learning an instrument and playing an instrument is a little more incidental. Like, I, I love music and I, I mostly love singing and lyrics, and then I learned guitar so I could sing. You know, it wasn't like the passion lies for some reason in the words and the poetry of it. That's impressive. That is very impressive. Um, what advice would you give anyone starting out or even young that's wanting to um, do what the Lumineers have done? What advice would you give them? I would say. Uh, I mean, choose the right heroes, you know, but choose the people that stand for the things that you want to stand for. And then remember them as like sort of your North Star because there's a lot of, there's just a lot of moments and decisions that you could make that could be a short term. Seems like okay thing, but it's, you know, I think a lot of why people like artists is because they sense that they're being them. And, uh, that's part of it. And I think, Another part of it is that you can do music, but nothing is really promised and guaranteed. And I think the artists that go the farthest are often the ones that don't really, um, when I say part of it, I mean connect really deeply, you know, like with an audience. You can get big, but you can kind of get big as like just seeing people what they want. Um, but I think the victory for me is like, if you can make every album exactly the way you want to make it on your timeline, 
the people you want to make with, that's a victory. And um, so I would just say, try to be as autonomous as you can and try to try to do the things that serve you to make you happy because, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a hard business. Like, I wouldn't want my son to be in music, really, unless he really loved it. Because it's not, it's just not for everybody. It's the same as, like, my friend's a chef, and that is a cruel, cruel world. But for a select few, it's worth it. And it's fun, and it's inspiring to bring people together over food. And I think music brings people together, too. But, you know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, whatever you're doing it for, it will emerge. You know, it will come out inevitably. So try to figure out if it's for you, because... You gotta wrap your whole life around it. You know, everything comes second to it. My wife always says, like, I know you're married to the music. Uh, I'm your second wife, but, and it's kind of, with anything, I think that's, that's what's tough is that, like, you're gonna sacrifice a lot, but for some people it's worth it and you have to make that decision. Yeah, that's great. That's great um, advice too. Um, what's the best advice you've received? Well, uh, I had a guitar teacher. We didn't really even play much guitar together. Ironically, <laughs> uh, I took this, I took this course in college for credit, and it was like I wanted to learn how to solo, and that definitely didn't work out. We didn't really have solos in our music, um, but he, um, his name's Charles, Charles Arthur, and um, he, he told me like, hey, if you want to play music, you can play music. It's just you got to understand. He's like, you're, you're good enough. It's not about talent at some point. It's about just like pure, pure drive and persistence, um, staying with it. It's kind of like I always, once he told me that, I always knew, you know, staying in music is like a war of attrition. Like if you can outlast, eventually your audience will come find you. But like look at Rodriguez, someone like that, where, you know, how old is he when he finally gets discovered in quotes? It, it takes forever sometimes. Um, so I think the, the, the idea that instead of looking at it like, can I do this? Will they allow me to do this? Like, give yourself the permission, which my guitar teacher kind of did, but then he followed it up with, you just have to, it's gonna, it's not always gonna be the most glamorous or easy thing, and it probably won't be at all. But if you love it, it'll be worth it. <laughs> I kind of like, also, every time I get like a gold record or a platinum record, I send him a copy with his name on it too, because he taught me everything I need to know about music. We'd sit there and, and talk about, uh, the craft of songwriting for hours, barely picking up our instruments, just trying to, just, uh, waxing on that, you know, and, and trying to understand it. Uh, and it's kind of like storytelling. So he, he just, he taught me everything and, um, and he doesn't remember half the shit he said to me. He's just like, he's just, I don't remember when he said this. He was like, I don't remember I said it, but I'll take credit for it. I like that. So he's a, he's an amazing guy. And anybody would be, you know, we always have to have our mentors. It's one of the most, you never know when you're going to find your next teacher, you know, and for me, he was, he was huge. That's amazing. That, yeah, that, that, that is truly incredible. Um, what are your hobbies and passions aside from music and I guess even touring? What do you like to do on your downtime? Well, I'd say, you know, first and foremost, when you're, I don't know if you're a parent, but when you become a parent, it's, it's 
a lot of your life in a good way. So a lot of it is trying to be present as much as I can with the kids because uh, I'm, I'm also gone a lot. Although they can, they do come out on the road a lot. I try to be present that way. But other than that, I mean, I like to ride motorcycles a lot. So I, I do a lot of riding, especially out in the Northeast and the area, this area called the Catskills of New York. Um, that's one of the, that's one of the top, top things. Um, just to zone out on a bike and go on these windy roads, uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, and beyond that, I, I hope I find time to like, fish. I like to fish when I can, like fly fish. Uh, I, I golf like once a year. I wish it was more. But most of it is just, most of it, it all, like all roads lead back to what I already like doing. So I've been lucky enough to be helping some artists by producing, getting into producing records as well. So I like, I just already like what I, my job is. So it's not to me like, um, I try to run away from it. Um, but, uh, it's mostly evolving around like words and you know just a healthy obsession I think with with, with that type of thing. Terrific. If you were eighteen again and you could change anything, what would you change? That's a really good question. Uh, I was eighteen again. I think I would have not. I think I would have just not gone to college and. Follow my gut because I told my parents I wanted to not go to university and just pursue music. And uh, by the time I graduated, I kind of felt behind. You know, I really wanted to just know what it was like to be a day-to-day musician. And it took it's the, it's the way I met Charles, so maybe I shouldn't say that. It's the way I met this guy who taught me so much valuable stuff. But uh, I do wish, in some ways, I could have gone straight to it. Um, but it had its own benefits. And I also just wish, uh, I, I wish I would have not looked at things like in such a time is running out kind of way, which I think when you're, when you are a musician or you're an actor or whatever, like some sort of entertainment world at the, at the gig, um, it's pretty, it's strangely like you have an expiration date and then you're not valuable to them, it seems like. <laughs> you know, like, I remember I had a friend go to a label, and he said, yeah, we don't really listen to demos of anyone who's over 20 or 29. So, and at the time, I think I was 27. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. You know, it's kind of like, you feel, you just feel like you're on some, the clock somehow, and I feel like I finally, I feel very lucky that audience found us and we found them, and, and you can kind of do things, and I've been able to do things on our own terms, but, in the beginning, I think I, I felt like that scene in Indiana Jones where the ball was rolling behind him and he's about to get squashed. Like it, it, you just feel like you're getting, you know, you're getting flattened half the time. So having a little more patience would have been, I think, a good thing for me. Yeah, thanks for sharing. That's that's great um, insights. Um, Wesley, thanks for coming yeah. on the podcast. Um, I do appreciate it. Uh, I wish you all the best, especially with the upcoming tour down here in Australia. And yeah, I wish you nothing but the best in all your future endeavors. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Now, I hope you get the show. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to come to the one in Sydney. I can't wait. All right, awesome. Thank you. Take care.